What I would like to do is just pray to get us started here. So if you would, whether you're joining us online or here in the room, um, let's just seek the Lord together. God, I come to you right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be honorable in your sight. Lord, I think of the conversations that I've had with so many this week who are dealing with pain and difficulty, who are suffering, who are weary, who are dealing with difficult circumstances. God, would you meet them? Would you draw near to them? For those who are traveling and on the go, would they be reminded that you are with them as they go? Thank you for the hope and the confidence that we have in you. Speak to us, Lord. Help us hear you. Thank you for your love and for your grace and for initiating a relationship with us through Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So good morning. I am so excited to be with you here again talking about the 10, the words of life. So for those of you who are here, this is what we've kind of been walking through. For those of you online, you can always go back and watch teachings online. Regardless, what I hope and what I know is that we're stepping into a bigger story. And you each have a unique story. And I just hope that we continue to build trust with you time and time again to be able to hear your story, and that you might be confident to share that with others. Now, I mentioned honor a moment ago, and we don't talk about honor much in our culture. Shame, guilt, innocence, even those fear, power dynamics. So it's especially jarring when last year at one of those great um, movie award ceremonies, when uh, Chris Rock makes a joke and Will Smith gets a little bit fired up and starts to say, get your wife's name out of your mouth, and walks up and slaps Chris Rock. However, whether you are a little skeptical and be like, oh, he was totally bracing, it was stage, skeptical or not, the slap, or in the, the people involved, conviction was expressed to uphold the name. Will felt so strongly about what was happening, skeptical or not, staged or not, there was something powerful that was displayed in that moment that he was willing to take an aggressive act to uphold the name and thus his wife's reputation because he felt that it was at risk through a comedian's joke. As a recovering athlete, one of the lines that's replayed again and again um, around the sports culture is play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name of the back. And the idea was that you, you had a team and a loyalty and your character and actions were to be indicative of the larger team. And, and how you would play was representative of that team. I also had a coach who said, hey, we want you to play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name of the back. But remember, the name on the back of your jersey 
is representative. Because how you act on and off the field, the court of play, you are representing not just yourself and the team, but also your family. So how you would act when they went to the grocery store growing up in a small town, if they saw Davies number three, you know, just does something awful on the court, then they know someone who's walking through the grocery store and be like, oh, your last name's Davies. Are you related to Kyle? See, my action and my attitude on the court was indicative, was revealing my actions or your actions in those spaces communicated your character. Your play was revealing. So what's in a name? A name is a representative of character. So it's no surprising that growing up in Christian circles, it was reinforced that it matters how you use God's name. I grew up kind of in and around church, and so it, it, it was something that I was a part of. And so one of the things that was instilled in me from a very young age was you don't use the Lord, your name, God, in vain. And so what that meant was like you don't say our culture's most famous phrase for an overreaction to about anything, which is, oh my God. I still wince when I hear people use that. We came up with all kinds of Christian alternatives, though, because we had to get right to the line, but we, we couldn't pass it. So, oh my gosh, or oh my goodness, and it was that experience of, of just frustration or anger or shock or surprise, and it was a way to kind of rework a way you're around like this whole principle of misusing God's name. And the use of those alternatives, frankly, were just as empty. See, God, in general, is not the personal name of God. And at the end of the day, no matter how you use it or what you feel about the phrase, those three letters that make up the name God, G-O-D, is if it's empty of relationship with a God, with the creator living God of the universe, then it doesn't really matter. It's just empty. But honoring God's name isn't just a language. It's a lifestyle. What Moses is doing in Deuteronomy is preparing the people of God to represent God in a new place. After the Exodus, as they prepare to enter the promised land, he gives a series of speeches for how they were stepping in to a bigger and more beautiful story and how they would represent God in this place. The first speech was the eternal story of that they were stepping into, of God's rescue and redemption, how God chose this people for a purpose. The second is the response they would have since they agreed to be God's people. And then the third near the end of Deuteronomy is the ongoing choice that they would have to make in this new place. And at the beginning of speech two, Moses recounts 10 words of life, 10 principles that the people that God had chosen, if they would respond to God in such a way as to live out his rescue, they would adopt these 10 words, these 10 principles, and live and express them. The first word is that other gods challenge our received identity. The second word is that finite misrepresentations challenge the divine order. 
For God had already made something in his image. And today's third word is a commitment to represent God well. As mentioned a moment ago, sometimes this command, don't use the Lord your God's name in vain or misuse or don't take the name, is, mis- is misunderstood as only referring to language. I think we absolutely need to be cognizant of how we use God's name and how we invoke. And I'll get to that more here in a moment. But it's not limited to a language. It's a lifestyle. The term take or misuse is not quite emblematic of this commandment. Properly translated, the, 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 the image is that you shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in a false way. A name in the ancient world was connected to purpose and power. Parents tap into this purpose and power and authority when they yell the full name of their kid when they're in trouble. When, when they're trying to scold and they go, Kenneth Kyle Davies, there's my full name, whereas I sometimes get to my kids of Mia Rose Davies or Xavier Kyle Davies. And, and, and you say that because you want them to understand the seriousness and gravity of the moment. We tap into that because there's authority, there's seriousness, there's power in communicating a name. In Genesis 1, the story of God is ordering and naming. And then he gives the responsibility and the right to name to Adam and Eve. So they weren't just coming up with the name cheetah or elephant for the sake of those words. What they were doing is they were describing the purpose and function. There was an authoritative act. The name is indicative of how purpose and form align. And so Israel, their name was linked to God's activity in their life. They may not claim Yahweh as their covenant Lord and then live as if they belonged to Baal. Their actions would communicate their attachment. See, to carry God's name was to embody God's reputation. This commandment This word of life is helping Israel understand that they represent who God is and what he has done. And so as they lived, as they worked, as they would establish their families, as they would order their life, the way in which they did that would communicate something about the God who had rescued them. And so this commandment, was a prohibition against three things that were evident in the ancient world. The first is evil in God's name. The second is invoking God's name for personal gain. And the third is empty words on behalf of God. See, God's people were not to commit evil in God's name. People instantly go to... um, the Old Testament, and they start to look at laws, especially in our modern day world, and they start to think about uh, how God's will and God's way was exercised and described in the Old Testament. And they get this picture of God that doesn't seem to quite add up to, 
to, to what this loving God seems to communicate in our modern world. And, and it seems like this God of the Old Testament is on, in conflict with both our modern sensibilities and the God of love and rescue that we see in the new. But what we have to understand is Israel was chosen for a purpose. So, what, so when we start to look at the laws in the Old Testament that Moses will re-describe to the people, we're not actually comparing them to our laws today. We're actually to compare them to the laws of the civilizations that they were going to stand against and, 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 and in contrast to. And what you find is when you actually read the laws of the Old Testament in comparison to the laws of the nations that Israel was going to stand against, uh, and concert with and against and to say to be compared with is that you find as Israel's laws were actually much more just and loving. That they were rescued to the poor. That they were set aside money for the poor. That they were to treat people with dignity and worth. That they were going to give people a chance. But also that there was a response that they would not like murder. That they would not just simply take by might. That there was an, a, a measure of justice that was it was in contrast to the ancient world. And so it's an egregious mistake to simply look at some of these laws and divorce Israel from its purpose and context. Israel, in its time and in its place on behalf of God, acted with justice. And what we'd also have to do is start to look and see what are the principles and priorities evident in these laws and begin to bridge the gap to today. But without getting too deep down the rabbit hole, which we will in future teachings, this principle stands true for anyone in relationship to Yahweh. We are not to do evil on behalf of God. So we can call the beating of a child or a spouse black and blue in the name of discipline while quoting scripture evil. We can, we, can talk, we can call the, the murder of innocence evil. And then if we claim it in the name of God, which might be the most extreme version of this, it's the people who murder in the name of God not only kill their victims, they kill God's reputation too. When we start to think about how we live and how we interact with others, we can, it's fair to say that evil in God's name violates this commandment. It's not carrying the name of God who rescues, who redeems, who frees. Or as Deuteronomy says, as a loving and patient God, slow to anger, who chooses his people to be cherished. See, because if we start to do things on behalf of God, we will misconstrue and we will call evil good and good evil. The second violation or prohibition in this commandment is invoking God's name for personal gain. In the last year, name, image, and likeness has become a thing for college athletics, where previously uh, universities have profited off of athletes and selling of their jerseys or pictures or memorabilia. And they were using this talent for profit. Sure, athletes received some of the benefit, but the results were unevenly weighted. And what happens in in this pushback is that an athlete's name, image, and likeness couldn't just be bought or sold for the gain of someone else. 
for the gain of the university. Rather, their name, their image, and their likeness should be used to represent themselves. We, we see how this can be unevenly weighted or how can this be, can be misused when, when speakers, musicians, and politicians slap the label of Christian in their bio as to connect with an audience as a means to an end. It can be an empty label rather than a lifestyle. And what you do is you're invoking names in these things for personal gain. So what we need to do is stop labeling things maybe for business purpose as, oh, I'm a Christian business. Well, maybe you're a Christian who is a business person. Or we slap labels, our identifiers, or modifiers in places because we're seeking to take advantage of other systems already in place. Rather, and what happens is it actually undermines the character of God because it's saying God's only out for profit or prestige. Rather, he's the guy who actually enters in, who loves who serves, who gives up his name for the sake of others. More on that in a moment. And three, this is a prohibition against empty words like making a promise. I swear to God, I'll do it. See, failure to follow through when invoking the name of God lends itself to the idea that God won't keep his promises. And when we practice this and we swear on God's name or swear on behalf of God and then we don't live up to our end of the obligation, it starts to seep in and reinforce that God might not keep his end of his promises either. See, if Israel failed on this commandment, the consequences weren't little. The nations were serving other gods. They were settling for a lesser version of humanity. And what the God of the universe wanted to know, them to know is that all people were welcome and wanted to, to reconnect, to be reattached to the creator God who gives them perf- purpose, authority, and power. And so what God says is that he won't forgive those who act on behalf of God in reputational, unbecoming ways. And this is jarring. But we have to remember Israel's divine purpose. They were to carry the name of God into a new land filled with lesser gods. Yahweh needed to be ruthless with misuse of his name. And any misuse undermined his character, which undermines his purpose in accurately revealing himself to the world. Yahweh had a right to proper representation through his people. The reality is, Israel failed. They failed. And we do as well. See, the will and the way of God disintegrated and become separated from our life. And we separate just little things like what's in our head and what's in our heart and then what we do. We separate them out between the idea of faith is not simply just knowing, but it is doing and living in response to who God is. And God's plan was always full integration with his people living out his ways. And God utilized this family, Israel, so at the proper time, God could represent himself, humanity, fully integrated with God to the world. This is where Jesus walks into the scene in the first century. 
caring deeply for how God was represented by Israel to the world. So much so that he gave his life so that God's name could be revealed to us. God didn't stay at a distance and flash his name on a neon sign. He came and he showed us how to live. What it looked like to call evil evil and good good. To not invoke the name of God for personal gain, but for the gain and the love and the selflessness to care for others. To not simply say nice things to build you up or build your self-esteem, but to invoke the promises of God so that the people of God could fulfill the purposes of God. That's what Jesus did. And so God takes his name seriously in the sending of Jesus. And so, so should we. See, God has a right to be properly represented in our lives as well. And the reality is that despite our best efforts, because of humanity's repeated defining of right and wrong in their own eyes, we have the inability to always represent God well. You know this from your own experience. When you look back on the, your life, and you, you might even notice some, how different character shows up in different spaces. How when you're around certain people, you function more like a thermometer than a thermostat. Where, where you give weight and sway to the people in the room rather than set the temperature. And you're influenced rather than influence. And what happens is, what about this? And, and what happens is because all of the brokenness and the labels that speak about to who we are tend to sway us in such a way that we start caring more about our name than the name of God and where we find ourselves. But it's only through Jesus and the process of reintegration, that reintegration can begin. See, he didn't draft us through the law, but through the cross. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, and then again in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You know that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Later on in chapter 5, Paul continues this theme, and it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself Through Christ, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's not through the law that we can properly represent God, but it's through the power of Christ. See, the name you represent is not a God who demands or demeaning without doing. It is a God who gave himself up for us. His identity is expressed in his action. And we have received this identity and therefore can act. See, sometimes, especially in our modern world, you are the only Bible that other people will read. Now, I hope that we can challenge people to open the Bible and read the scriptures for themselves to get to know a God who loves, to get to know the real Jesus, not the Jesus that is told or even merely just preached, but the Jesus who has lived out through people in a place. See, it's through Jesus that we can be reconciled to God even after defiling God's name. See, an integrated lifestyle with God brings life. It brings life. So for those of you who are still exploring a lifestyle of faith, you have to determine, do you want this integrated life? Are you content with trying to be one person over here and one person over here? Are are you content with, with trying to Exercise one series of priorities in your business and and maybe another with your family. Or maybe think about your past in one way and think about your future in another. And we know that that you don't carry God's name. And so as, as we talk about what it means to carry God's name well, hear from me. That this expectation of carrying Christ's name, of, of carrying God's name isn't for you, but it can, is available for you. The way to carry God's name, to be reconciled, to be ministers of reconciliation, to, to, to cry out and say, be reconciled to God, to be ambassadors, to represent God's name. That standard, that call is for people who have already been rescued. Why we've looked at the last two weeks is because I know some of you are carrying gods that aren't living. They're crushing, they're demanding They're never changing, they're unresponsive, and they don't really care for you. And so if you're in this place and you're feeling overwhelmed or crushed by carrying other names or lesser gods, you can set those down and cling to the cross. And that's what it means to start receiving the truth of the living God is picking up those adoption papers by clinging to the cross and giving up what you think is good, what you think is right, and allowing God to bring rightness to you and in you and cultivate that. For it's only through Jesus that your heart can truly change. Because if you try to change through caring lesser gods, they will crush you. So for those of you who have experienced the work of God in your life and you've been reconciled to God and maybe you're just trying to wrap your arms around what this means for you. You're just trying to figure it out yourself. Carrying the name of God isn't just a language. It is a lifestyle. 
Therefore, it's going deeper than simply a rebrand. You must cultivate joy with Jesus. It's things like repeating the phrase, in Christ I am a new creation. It's not swapping out the necklace that you may be wearing from a crystal to a cross. It's not simply like just changing the outward image or the outward display. It's allowing the cross and the call of Christ and His rescue to begin to cultivate, to transform you inwardly. It's to stop treating followership of Jesus like a jersey you can take off and on. Because true change, lasting change, carrying the name of Christ well, is never taking off the jersey in the first place once you put it on. Some of you, as you're trying to follow this, as you're being pressured to say, well, maybe I'll, I'll just get traded. <laughs> and then this team will be a little bit better. Maybe if I, if I, if I just swap out things, It'll be a little bit easier, but rather the call of Christ is to not be enticed by the people who live without respect to God and believe the lies that maybe that team is better. But to start to understand what it looks like to live and work and play as if you are in God's team. And to do that, you're going to have to repent of false belief. You're going to have to find one area of your life. I'm not talking about every area of your life. Just pick one. Say, God, what does it look like to live you well in this area? Maybe it's what it looks like to be a parent. Maybe what it looks like to be a son or a daughter. Maybe it's just like what it looks like to be a good worker. To pick one area and start asking the question to God, God, what is a reconciled, fully human, fully connected and attached person to you in this place start to look like? And you're going to have to fight against comparison. You're going to have to stop comparing your life and your journey to others. See, it's the idea that, that Apple uh, was innovating because they didn't know anything else, but Microsoft failed to innovate because they were just focused on Apple. Comparison kills innovation. Comparison kills creatively expressing a fully integrated human in your location where God has placed you. Because when you start to measure what God is asking you to do and your connection to Him by others, you will miss what He is asking you to do where you are. See, comparison with others will kill imitation of Jesus where he has placed you. So start with one and reject and repent from false beliefs that other teams are better, that other gods are better, and carry the name well. And it may mean you have to do some work to repair those relationships in that place. Now, for those of you who are a little more integrated, you may feel this compulsion to help others. I, Kyle, I'm doing this. I've said yes to the rescue. I believe it. I, I know areas of my life that I'm working on and working towards. I just want others to start to do the same thing. Your thought may be, well, what do I actually need to say to them? What do I need to say to actually just convince them that this is the better way to live? See, 
It's actually to truly help them. It doesn't come from more of what you say. It doesn't come from outward words, but it comes from deeper inward renewal. Because carrying the name isn't just the language. It's a lifestyle. So therefore, you have to reorder the representations within your life. Let me give you an example, and I, I told you this was coming. There are all kinds of labels that we choose and some that choose us. For example, I'm a son. I'm a male. I'm a husband. I'm a heterosexual. I'm married. I'm a millennial. I'm a recovering athlete. I can build a list. You can build a list, too, of labels that some that you've chosen and identified with and others that you've just simply received by existing. And each of those words or phrases in our culture have a message about action. To be, let me give you an example, like it has this defining characteristic. So like to be male means certain things. And it could provide gross misrepresentation if I take my cue from being male from our culture or from our world rather than from Christ. Everything from misrepresentation, it could be from this womanizing fool to simply being passive. There's gross misrepresentations of what that means, but I should measure that label, that identifier, that modifier, not by what I think or what the world thinks, but what Christ says about that truth. See, we've been giving the ministry of reconciliation Meaning we reject the false representations within our own heart that seeks to define ourselves not by this label, but by Christ's action in our lives. So to help others, as you start to identify where you're living by lesser labels and start living out of the label of Christ, we represent the way of God through that label. See, we carry the name of Christ. Because everyone has this idea of what it means to represent Christ. Other people might even think of, this is what this means, or this is how this could look. And it's because people have not presented Christ in a way that's consistent with His character. And we must fight and we must be ruthless in our own lives and heart. But what that means for us. You notice that I said to help others is not actually to call others out. But it's to cultivate in you a heart that constantly aligns with Christ. Because what happens is light shines on darkness. People whom you rub shoulder to shoulder with, where you live, work, and play, will instantly feel a little bit of friction. They'll feel uncomfortable. So when you're a little more filled with integrity than your coworkers, when you work a little harder, when you, the way you, you speak to maybe your boss or about your boss behind their back, the way you speak about your wife or your spouse when they aren't around, will say volumes for how you view Not just them, but how you've understood Christ to be shaped in you. To be fully integrated. 
to be constant both in word and in deed. And maybe you are someone today who's fully aware of the inconsistencies in your life. And you're seeing change. And you're doing your best and you're representing the ways of God. And you see others even start to get it. The biggest barrier is when we start to reach this place and we're seeing change and we're feeling excited. Will be the lack of patience and the lack of presence you have with others. You'll have to fight against bitterness. You'll have to fight against the idea that it's perfection over progress in the lives of others. See, because God was patient with you. He was patient with you on your journey to follow him, to be a fully integrated person. We're still all in process. We're still all making progress. And the moment we lose sight of the grace and the glory of God is the moment that we start expecting others to be perfect while not expecting that for ourselves. See, it's Christ's perfection lived out in us that helps us make progress in every area of our life. So you're going to have to fight against expectation for others when there's not there for yourself. And you're also going to have to fight against your lack of presence because it's going to be difficult. It's going to be easier to create distance and remove yourself and again, this is for someone who's in the process of integration, who you know your inconsistencies and you're working towards it and you're feeling that and you're in connection with God. You've developed that attachment. Your desire is going to be able to, is going to, be to distance yourself from others. Please don't. Because the example that we see in Christ is that he did not distance himself from us, but he came for us. And we know that even as I share this, our hearts are fickle. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're not always going to get it. We're not always going to be perfect. But grace be to God that he didn't root us in the law, but the cross. So may we carry the name well. And what happens is when a people start to do this in a place, when we have people who are just exploring, when we have people who are just trying to kind of just wrap their arms around it for themselves, we have others who are want to help others and then others who are patient and presence over the long haul. It's going to be like people pulling up the chair to a table to understand what it means to carry the name of God well. And God's family will expand because we'll have all types of people from different backgrounds and stories pulling together, linking arms to say, how do we live Christ well here? And your connection with others will shock your friends. Your connection with Christ and his church will shock your coworkers. You'll hear people start to say, if we are doing this well, I'm not sure I believe what you believe, but if I did, then I'd want to be at Generations. I'd want to be where you are. Will you help me get there? See, we're not asking our community to carry the name of Yahweh, but instead carry it so well that we carry it to them and it be so attractive that we're not trying to attract them to a place, but to God's grace in our lives. So the misuse of the name of God 
Sometimes we simply reduce it to a language. While this commandment certainly includes this truth, we know that it needs to mean to carry the name of God into all locations of our life and allow the grace of God to be carried into all spaces of our heart and life. Israel was Yahweh's representative to the nations. Hence, they should not serve other gods, limit God to something made, nor manipulate God for personal ends. For all these were misrepresentations of God. And in a world of lesser gods, Yahweh must be properly represented by his covenant people in response to his rescue. May we be people who seek to live in response to his rescue in every area of life. To reintegrate God's will and God's way into our life because of Jesus. Let's pray and we'll respond together. God, you are good. We cling to that truth right now. God, shine a light in our heart where we've settled for lesser gods, where we've not allowed you to have your way. Maybe it's in how we speak. Maybe it's in how we act. May we believe the lie that other teams are better. Help us to not carry your name in an empty way. Show us Lead us, guide us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.